If you have a, a Bible with you, or, or even if you don't have a Bible with you, you can look for a, a pew Bible that should be uh, on, the, on the seat and um, turn to the, the book of Galatians, chapter 5. This is on page 975 in the, the pew Bible. Uh, we have been continuing our way through the book of uh, Galatians um, all the way since we, we launched worship. So we, we launched regular services on Easter, um, and we've moved section by section, verse by verse, uh, through this book. And, and we're actually getting, as I said, relatively close to the end. Um, now, if you've been tracking with what we've been talking about in chapter 5, Paul has been setting up for us uh, a bunch of contrasts. So last week we talked first about a, a contrast between uh, giving opportunity for the flesh and serving others through love. So those are opposites. So giving opportunity not just to the body, but to our sinful nature that we inherit from our first parents, Adam and Eve, and the actions that flow out of that. And then Paul set up another contrast that's related between walking by the Spirit and then gratifying the desires of the flesh. Um, And and he said that the the reason that these things are opposed to each other, that the desires of the flesh are opposed to the to the desires of the Spirit to keep you from doing what you want to do. And today, what we see is that Paul's moving from from the inside, from the desires, to how those desires begin to express themselves out in the world. So he's introducing then another contrast between the the desires of the flesh leading to the the works of the flesh and, and the desires of the Spirit leading to the fruit of the Spirit. So again, Galatians chapter 5 beginning in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desire, its passions and desires. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, even as we move through this this passage, uh, we know that we have the the battle inside of us between the desires of the spirit and the desires of the flesh. And Lord, we pray that that you would use this um, time that, that we wouldn't have head knowledge but heart knowledge, that you would let us each be a fruitful field, Lord, that that bears the fruit of your spirit to your glory to those around us. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you uh, may have heard of an author, Charles Duhigg. Um, I recommend his books. He, he does a lot on habit and productivity and those sorts of things. But I was reading recently a, a story in, in one of his books, and it was talking about people who, who can see things in really chaotic environments. And so one of the, the illustrations was a um, nurse working in a, a NICU, and, um, which, of course, can be a place where there's 
alarm sounding, babies crying, um, and it can be hard to hone in onto what the actual thing you need to focus on in that moment. And so she was, she was doing her, her rounds, and she saw a um, baby in an incubator, and she stopped because something just struck her as not being quite right. Uh, there were monitors hooked up, and there, none of those were showing any sort of problem at all. And there was even another RN overseeing the baby who hadn't seen anything problematic. But she noticed a, a couple things. She noticed that the skin of the baby was just a little bit discolored instead of just the, the uniform pink that, that she expected. And then she saw that, that the baby's um, belly was just ever so slightly bloated, hardly noticeable. And then also that blood had been drawn from the baby, and so there was a, a Band-Aid, and she expected to just see a little spot of blood, but there was more of a blotch of crimson. And so she, she reached down and, and took the baby out of the, uh, the incubator, and it, the baby was awake, but sort of grimaced when she picked uh, the, the, the little girl up. And so the nurse, um, could, not one particular thing, but just sort of all together, she thought something's off here. So she found the attending physician and she said, we need to put this baby on intravenous antibiotics and we need to run tests right now. And so they, I mean, just really going on her hunch initially, they, they deferred to her judgment, put the baby on um, antibiotics, ordered tests, um, and it came back that the baby had um, inflammation that was being caused by a, a very serious kind of infection, and that um, really if it had not been caught at the very moment that it was caught, probably the baby would have died. Um, and so, of course, th thankfully the baby recovered. But, but later, a group of uh, researchers were, were looking at how is it that people can, can do this, can see things that other people don't see, um, and, and they were really fascinated by, by nurses like Darlene who have the, this um, ability. And, and this is what one of the researchers said. Uh, it fascinated me that Darlene and the other nurse who was, who was keeping watch had seen the same warning signs. They had all the same information, but only Darlene detected the problem. And so they, the researchers went to her and said, how is it that you were able to see the things that you saw where, where, you, where other people didn't? And really what she said is that, that she, she tries to carry around in her mind a picture of what a healthy baby is supposed to look like. And then she, everything that she sees, she's kind of putting it up against this, this image of a healthy baby. And so when she saw it, even though she couldn't necessarily put her finger on exactly what it was, she said that doesn't line up to what it, what it should be. And, and the psychologist had a name for it and they called it mental modeling, where basically um, they, they said it is a form of telling stories to ourselves, where we, we narrate the way that things should be, and then we're a lot more able to see things that are out of place and make decisions in the right moment, and that some are better at creating mental models in their mind than others. Now, I, I say all of that to, to remind us that what Paul is doing here in the book of Galatians is he's basically helping us create a, a mental model of what a healthy Christian looks like. Um, and so as, as we are doing the, the rounds in our own heart, among all of just the, the chaos of life, how do we spot when there is there's something wrong? Well, we have to know what to, 
to look for. And what, what Paul's saying is that there, there are two t- types of behaviors that we need to, to be watching for. There are works of the flesh and there are fruit of the spirit. And that both of these basically flow, are flowing out of a deeper problem. They're just symptoms, but they're symptoms of something that's going down deep in the heart. So we'll walk through these, these two things together, the, the works of the flesh and the, the fruit of the spirit. So let's look first at the, the works of the flesh. Um, look again at verse 19. Paul says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And so, so Paul's talking here, as I said a moment ago, that about the, the actions that are flowing from the, these inner desires that, that all of us inherit, that are opposed to God, that, that desire the things that are against God. And what he's saying is that, that these, these, these actions that flow out of these desires are evident, that, that they're, they're self-evident. We know what these things are. But then he goes on and he lists 17, or, uh, sorry, 15 works after that, just, just moves through them. But then he even reminds us this isn't a complete list. There, there are other lists like this even in the New Testament and the ancient world, and they never contain exactly the same things. Uh, in, in verse 21, he says, and things like these. And so what he's doing with this list is basically it's kind of an abstract picture that it, it, it provides enough that we can get a sense of what he's, he's talking about, that it is this kind of shotgun blast of uh, vices that shows us this is what it looks like for somebody to be gratifying the desires of the flesh. And you know, so it helps us, like the nurse on the, in the NICU, to be able to spot the proper thing. So let's just quickly walk through this list, see what Paul is, is talking about. Uh, so, so the first there, we, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality. Now, the, the Greek word translated sexual immorality is the word porneia, uh, which is where we get the, the English word pornography. And if you were to, to go look in a, in a Greek lexicon, it's defined as any unlawful sexual intercourse um, or even desire. You might say, well, what is unlawful sexual intercourse desire according to the scripture? Well, this is something that is very controversial in the 21st century, but what the Bible teaches very clearly throughout all of scripture is that God created sex um, as a gift to be used um, for his glory, but to be used um, in a particular context in marriage between one man and, and one woman. And the scripture also says that, so any expression of sexual action or desire outside of those confines is, is using it in a way that God didn't intend and, and is ultimately destructive to the, to the human person, destructive to, to human flourishing and out of step with his design. So that is, is sexual immorality. But then he, he moves on next to impurity. And this also has a sexual overtone in the original language, but it has to do with moral corruption, uh, immorality, vileness. Then next, um, sensuality. Uh, that's somebody who's being driven by the, the senses. The, they're being driven by the sense of sight and touch and smell and hearing and, and taste. And, and it's those, those sort of what's coming in 
to their senses that's driving all the action as opposed to this inner sense of, of knowing what, what God says about what is right and, and what is wrong. But the next, idolatry, refers to worshiping something other than God. And it can be the, the very kind of stereotypical idea of idolatry that might pop into your mind of somebody bowing down to a statue of a, of a god and, and worshiping it. But also idolatry is, is broader in the scriptures that it can refer to just any time that we, we love something more than God. It, it's the times where we, we look to something for life and, and salvation and happiness. When we look to the, the creature for fulfillment as opposed to the creator. So that's idolatry. Next is sorcery. And that probably wouldn't be the, something that we would think of to put on our list of vices if we were compiling this. But really what, what this is talking about is somebody who is grasping for control of reality through contact with spiritual forces. So trying to essentially grab control in the wrong way. And you know, today we could think about uh, things like Ouija boards or horoscopes or astrology or witchcraft, occult, uh, neo-paganism, which is actually rising in the West in America and the UK, uh, Wicca, fortune-telling, seances, or even just a kind of morbid fascination with the, the supernatural. Um, in a way that, that becomes dangerous and, and destructive. So that's um, sorcery. Now, now the next grouping here um, are more related and more self-evident. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, divisions, and envy. And so all of those are, are really describing the, the breakdown of relationship between people who are created in the image of God, whether that's through this kind of competitive attitude or, or divisions. The next we see drunkenness. Uh, and the Bible is very clear that alcohol and drinking is not wrong in and of itself, but the Bible does clearly say that drunkenness, that getting drunk is a sin, and that is one of the, the works of the flesh. And then the, the final work that Paul lists here is orgies. And this, the, this word in the original uh, originally came from a festival that celebrated um, Dionysus, the, the Greek god of, uh, what, I have it written here, wine, ritual madness, fertility, theater, and religious ecstasy. Um, and that, that was Dionysus, and so this was the, the festival in, in his honor. But eventually the word just it started to refer to just a, a riotous party, basically. So if you kind of want to get the image, just think the, the fraternity party that just goes over the top in, in excess and drinking or sex or drugs or food or whatever form that that takes. And that's what he is talking about here when he says orgies. And then, as we said, he says, and things like these. So he could keep going <laughs> down, down this list. Now, as we think about this, and we, and we look at these works, I think that we can see our own actions in here in some place. That I'm, I'm sure that you can see somewhere in your life that you're kind of, all right, I, I may not struggle with drunkenness, but, man, I struggle with envy or 
oh, you know, I, I don't struggle with um, sorcery, but, but I, I struggle with, with fits of anger. Because we, we said that we have this war between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit within us. So, so in different ways, we can see these things in our heart and in our life. And, and so then we begin to wonder, well, how, how dangerous are these things, these works of the flesh? How serious are these? And you can think back to the, to the NICU, to the, to the nurse, uh, that, that she saw the, the discolored skin, she saw the crimson blot on the Band-Aid, uh, she saw the slightly bloated stomach, um, and she was able to put the, the dots together and say, this is extremely dangerous. And if she had just left it where it is, that it would have been um, extremely bad. So she went and found a doctor. And it's the same thing for us, that even though we can definitely see ourselves in this list in different ways, uh, it's something that we should take very seriously and that, that we need to call the, a spiritual physician uh, when we see these things. And we, and we see how, how serious it actually is in the second half of verse 21. Look there in your Bible. Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So apparently Paul had verbally warned them, probably when he, he planted these churches, that, they, that the people who do these things are not going to heaven, that they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But then here he, he's reiterating it. He, he's not saying that simply somebody who falls occasionally into behaviors like these but is, is living a life of repentance, but he's saying somebody whose life is characterized by the works of the flesh that, that that is somebody who, who is not on the, the path to heaven, but actually on the path to death. It is extremely dangerous. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But as we, as we hear that warning, though, I think that, that we begin to, to raise several responses. And some of you might identify with, with some of these responses to this warning. The, the first response is to sort of try to soften what Paul is saying and try to restate in a way that, that lets us off the hook for the things in our lives. Um, well, you know, we say it's, it's yeah, struggle, we struggle with anger sometimes, or we will blow up at our family, or yeah, I envy the person at work who got a promotion, but it's, it's not a really a, a big deal. I mean... I know that Jesus died for me, I'm, I'm saved, and, and so then it's just sort of left where, that it, where it is, and, and no action is taken uh, against it. But I, we can't soften what Paul is saying, that, that he states it so starkly, and it's such a terrifying warning. We shouldn't try to, to rationalize it, but we should sit really in, in the tension of what he's trying to say. But then, as, we, if, as we're sitting in that tension, we can then have the second response, which could be to say, well, maybe Paul's just inconsistent in some way. Because all along through this letter, he's been saying, you're not saved by what you do, but you're saved by faith in Christ. And so is he saying that, oh, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, but by the way, if you get drunk, or you, you envy, or you have divisions, then you're not going to heaven anymore. Isn't that basically just sort of 
bringing works into the back door and um, as a form of, of legalism. Well, the, the way forward, I think, for us to understand what Paul is doing here is to really know how, how the scripture talks about works. What's the role of good deeds in the Christian life? Because in, in most world religions, people who, who do bad things merit judgment. People who do good things merit reward. And that's just the way that, that world religions work. But in, but in, in the Bible, in scripture, that it's, a, it's a slightly different way, actually in reality, a very different way of, of looking at it. It says that those who, who do bad things, who do works of the flesh, are evidencing themselves to be out of right relationship with God. So it's a form of, of evidence. And it's similar that, that, that those who are, are displaying good deeds in their life are evidencing themselves to be in, in, a, in a right relationship with God. So there, there, is, there is a connection, but, but it's not of cause and effect, but it's really of, of a result, saying this is what should result from a life. And, and listen to how um, Jesus explains this to us in Luke 6. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For fig tree, figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." So you can see what, what Jesus is, is saying there, that he's saying that there's a connection between what kind of plant you are and what's going to come out. Um, that that if, if you have a plant in your garden and it's only bringing thorns, that you can't keep saying that it's an apple tree. Uh, that you say, no, it's a thorn bush, because that's what keeps coming out of it. Um, that, and if it's an apple tree, it's going to, you know, it might have seasons where it's not bearing apples or it needs to be pruned. But eventually, if it's a healthy live apple tree it will produce um, and that's what Jesus is saying that that somebody who is is claiming to be a Christian but not bringing forth any fruit any evidence of that that essentially that claim could be false that that it could evidence the person to be somebody who will not inherit the kingdom of God and that and that's really what what Paul is is getting at here in his warning as well so we said that the first response can be that, that we try to lessen it. The second response is we doubt Paul or think that he's being legalistic. But then the, the third response that we can have to Paul's warning here is, is that we, we look at our lives and we see the places that we fail. And of course, we all fail in many ways. And then we look at, at Paul's warning that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then we're just basically cast into despair, sadness, and, and we just wonder if we're even um, saved at all. And that is not Paul's intention, that he's, his, his goal here is not to drive us into despair. He's not trying to, do, to doom us to some cruel fate, but, but he's, he's acting more like a really good physician, that, that he's saying, here are the symptoms, and then here is going to be the outcome if those symptoms are left untreated. 
And, and so, again, we, we want to take this seriously. And, and, and you can think even back to what we were saying with the nurse in the NICU, um, that, that she um, had to, to notice, okay, what is this? And then what would be the outcome if I don't intervene? And that is going to help take action in the right moment. So Paul's moving us beyond the warning to the solution. And so what is the, the solution that, that he brings to us? Well, the, the solution isn't to just try harder, to say, okay, well, now we're going to just try to avoid the works of the flesh. I'm going to you know, try to avoid fits of anger by being more patient and, and try to avoid envy by being more content with, with what I have, just kind of take on the actions in and of themselves. Because that would be kind of like the nurse in the NICU saying, oh, there's the crimson uh, spot on the Band-Aid. Let me change that Band-Aid. Um, oh, the, the child's the color, there's discoloration here. Let me just put some makeup on and, and fix the discoloration. That, that if she were to deal with the, the symptoms, uh, the child, again, would have died. And, and that's the same thing for us, that when we just deal with our, our behavior, our external actions, and not with the root, that, that it's not going to fix the problem, that it can look good for a little while, but eventually it's going to end in a very dangerous place. And so what do we do then? If we're, if we're not dealing with behavior, what is, is the root? What is the, are these symptoms showing us? And really what, what all of the symptoms show, what the works of the flesh show, are essentially a life that, that doesn't understand relationship with God, who's out of sync with God. And so the, the, the question that we should be asking ourselves always then is, am I abiding in Christ? Am I resting in Christ? Am I in Christ? Am I united to Christ? Because ultimately it is being in Christ, abiding in him, that we are brought into a, a relationship with God. And it is through abiding in him that the fruit will begin to flow from our life. And again, listen to how, how Jesus describes this in John 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. As the branch, verse 4, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it's outside of Christ that we can do nothing, that we can't make any kind of headway against the, the works of the flesh in our life. But in Christ, he, through the Spirit, begins to do the, the seemingly impossible that we could never do by our own strength, that he begins to, to put to death the, the deeds of the flesh and, and enables us to begin to, to bear fruit. And really that, that brings us to the next section of our, of our text, uh, so we, we just saw the, the works of the flesh, but then now he turns to the, the fruit of the Spirit. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. So notice just a, a few things in, the, in these two verses. Uh, first, you'll, you'll notice that, that he calls it the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits, plural, of the Spirit. Uh, now, sometimes I've heard pastors press that point too far, because even in Greek, fruit can, be, can refer to one thing or several things, just like in English, that if you go to the grocery store and you say, I, I went today and bought fruit, no one's going to think that you just got you know, one apple, that you could go to the grocery store and buy fruit, and you mean strawberries and pears and apples and, and multiple fruits. But I still think that, that what Paul is saying here is, is he's, he's using the, the singular for a purpose, that, that he's trying to show that these aren't individual fruits that we can kind of pick out and say, well, I'm going to take numbers one, two, and three, but then leave the others out, that they're all mutually in de- uh, dependent on one another, that if you can't have, have one without another, that if you're, if you're trying to love without self-control, it won't work. And you could just arrange them in all sorts of different combinations and see how they can't stand by themselves. But then also, you'll notice that these fruits, these virtues that flow out of a life are, are not coming from human strength and from human ingenuity. That it's not something that we just read self-help books and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But, but the name tells us what it is, right? That it's the fruit of the Spirit. Not saying that it, this is fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit, that, that he is the, the source of this fruit. So it's not coming from ourselves, but it's coming from him. So, so look at the, the things that he lists. He lists eight fruit. The, the first is, is love, which is just the, the summary of the law. We talked about that last week, the, the chief Christian virtue. Joy, which doesn't so much mean happiness as it means is this deep contentment rooted in the Lord, not in circumstances. Peace, which is peace with God through Christ's work for us. Inner peace that we have knowing our, our sins are forgiven. Peace that then flows to those around us. Uh, patience, which is... Uh, waiting on the Lord, even when things are difficult and we're in suffering, but also being patient with those around us, reflecting the, the, the character of God who's slow to anger and bounding in faithfulness and patient towards us. Um, and then also kindness and, and gentleness that, that reflect who God is, that we are then to reflect out to others. Uh, faithfulness that, that, again, like God, who, who makes covenant promises and keeps them and is always faithful to his word, that that we're called to, to faithfulness um, and to, to be people who stand by uh, the truth to the Lord and, and the things we, we say to others. And then f- gentleness, that we're not harsh, we're not unkind, uh, self-control, that, that we, as we face the, the pressures of the flesh and, and the world, that, that we stand firm in those things. And then it's interesting, in, in verse 23, he says, against such things there is no law that people can, can make again, a law against the free assembly like this. Somebody could make a law against it and try to, to, to gather us together. Or they, they could make a law against being able to, to go through certain actions. But if you think about it, no one could ever pass a law against any of these fruit. They can't pass a law against love, against joy, against peace. That, that, that these are 
are, are virtues that aren't just the result of, of circumstances, but, but far deeper. And so as we look at these, though, we can have several responses. Remember we said that there was responses that we could have to the works of the flesh. Well, similar here. Uh, so the first response that we can have as we, as we read these is we say, well, this is, this is kind of um, boring. That, that I really, what I, what I find more interesting are, are the, the works of the flesh. And that could be where, where some of you are. And that, that's a, a very um, dangerous place to be. That is the, the place of, of unbelief. But Sometimes even within that, we can have this, this seed of not desiring these things, but desiring to desire these things. And, and so even if you have the desire to the desire to desire these things, um, to, to take that desire and, and use it to, to pray to the Lord, to say, Lord, let me desire this to reflect who I am more and more and to desire the things that, that you desire and walking in step with the Spirit. But then the, the, the next response is to to look at these things, to desire them, but then at the same time to see how incredibly short we fall. And, and this is where the, the image of fruit is helpful because fruit goes through seasons, that there can be seasons of drought where we, we look at our life and say, it doesn't seem like I'm, I'm bearing much fruit. Um, or or we, we go through seasons where, where you, you go through winter where the, the tree's still alive we're still abiding in, in, in Christ, we're in Him, but, but we look at our lives and say, you know, what's going on with, with me? What's, what's wrong uh, with me? Um, and, and it's encouraging, and this is where it's encouraging to say that, that this, is, this is fruit, that the Spirit, if we are abiding in Christ, that we will bear fruit, that He will continue to work in your life and my life to bring forth fruit. But also, it's not just encouragement, then it's also challenge. Because we know that, that none of us, even the most mature Christian who's walked with the Lord their entire life, isn't all the way there. That You could maybe say, I, I think actually I love people better than I did 10 years ago. And that's a wonderful thing to be able to say. But in this life, you're not going to be able to say, I love people enough. <laughs> I love people perfectly, that we can always grow. Or you might say, I, I have more self-control than I did um, a week ago, but, but we always need more. And, and so I was, this funny image had popped into my mind of this, that I, I was thinking that, that Christians are really, that we're, we're green bananas. <laughs> That's what we are. We, and, and so even the most mature Christian is still a green banana. Um, and and that, that there still needs to be this ripening of the fruit. And that's something that we pray for, we, we long for, that the, the fruit that has come out will continue to ripen and, and become even more wonderful and glorious and, and delicious to, to God's glory. And ultimately then, that, that ripening process, that, that the fruit coming through from blossom to, to fruit, as we said, doesn't come through our own action, um, but it, it comes through knowing the mental, the mental model. Remember we said that, that the nurse and the, the NICU had this, this picture of what a healthy baby looks like. And, and as we desire to be healthy Christians, what, what we don't do is just put our, an image of our head of what we think a healthy Christian should look like. Because all of our examples fall woefully short. But ultimately what we keep in our mind and in our heart is, is the image of Christ that we see in Scripture. And that's what Paul means in verse 24 when he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires and its passions. 
And so, so the key, what Paul's saying is the key of killing the, the desires of the flesh for growing in, in the spirit is belonging to Christ, that those who belong to him. And we don't belong to him because we made the decision to belong to him, but he actually purchased us. And that's what he did through his life, his death, and resurrection, that he went to, he purchased people who were not lovely in themselves, this, these little shrubs that were almost dead and bearing no fruit. And, and then he, he purchased it and, it, and it grows into a, a tree to, to, to bear fruit. And if you, if you think about Jesus, and, and you look again at the, the, this list of the fruit of the Spirit, he, he's the only person who has perfectly displayed the fruit of the Spirit to the world of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and, and self-control. But as he then lived his life in the world, what he confronted every step along the way were works of the flesh from others around him. But his response was to keep, keep loving. You can think of the way he cared for the sexually immoral woman at the well or the way that he loved and ate with uh, impure tax collectors and, and people who struggled with, with sensuality. We talked about sorcery and the way that, that he took on forces of evil and the way he cast out um, demons and, and dealt with the spiritual darkness of the world. But then also the way that, that he was constantly facing works of the flesh from the religious leaders who, who envied him and, and who despised him and had dissensions and, and rivalries. And they even said that, that he was a, a drunkard, that, that he was manifesting works of the flesh when he was the only person who was actually pure. And then ultimately, he, he went to his death for us on the cross. And it is, it's that death that we see here and we said that, that we were constructing a, that, that mental model by the spirit of, of who Christ is and what he's done for us that lets us spot when things are out of whack in our own lives. And so we see the, the picture in words, but we also we see it here displayed for us uh, from, from the Lord in that, that Christ, his, his body was broken, his, his blood was shed, that, that his people passed him when he was hanging on the cross, they didn't say, oh, okay, there's somebody who's going to inherit the kingdom of God, but they, they must have thought this is somebody who's falling under the, the judgment of God who will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what Jesus was doing was he was taking what we deserve. His body was being broken. His blood was being shed for us so that we can actually receive life and joy in him. And so what we have then in this meal is, is, is we see uh, we see fruit, that, that the, the blood of Christ poured out for us so that, that we can take the fruit of the vine. And which is, it's so we, we see both sides of the, of the picture of, of what Christ has done for us to purchase us, but then also the, the work of the Holy Spirit to, to bringing fruit into our lives as we drink becomes part of us and, and flows out from us as, as God uses this meal to strengthen us. Now, we don't believe that Christ is bodily present here, but he has given this meal and that the Spirit of God is present with us to use this in our lives to bear much fruit.